Now, even if you're growing your food yourself organically, not using any chemicals, your city might come and spray pesticides once a month to keep mosquitoes down. I mean, the chemicals are everywhere. Living in this world is kind of like, you know, back in the, I think it was the 60s and 70s where they allowed smoking on airplanes. And if you were on that plane and someone was smoking, you know, uh, like Dice Clay said, you're in a tube. The smoke is everywhere. What's with the smoking section and the no smoking section? You're on this earth. The chemicals are everywhere. Some places more toxic than others. You are listening to The Dr. Haley Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you optimize your health. Each episode, there will be an interview or a message to help you discover better health. We will be featuring health radicals on the show to bring new ideas to the table, as well as doubling down on key fundamentals to support you living your best life. Your host is no other than the founder of Haley Nutrition, Dr. Michael Haley. I love your questions. Thank you for sending them. This one, well, it's reworded, simplified, because a lot of people ask this. Frequently, I discuss this topic. And, well, let's just take a look. Can aloe gel treat, cure cancer? Can it treat or can it cure cancer? And this is going to be somewhat of a long answer with no definitive yes or no, of course, because really... Technically, there is no cure for cancer. Um, You can ask doctors about chemotherapy. Does this cure cancer? There are things that kill cancers. Cure is, you know, something that people hope for. They hope that remission lasts and eventually we would consider them cured after a period of time if if the cancer was killed down. And people are cured from cancer quite often. It does happen. But ultimately, you know, we look at something like cancer and we say, okay, what, or not even cancer, any illness or or disease process, we say, what caused it? And how do I make my body work better? How can I assist my body in overcoming this? And probably the number one thing is getting rid of the cause, whether it's cancer or arthritis or whatever it is, you know, we want to eliminate the cause. Inflammatory bowels, it doesn't matter what the condition is, am I eliminating the cause? Now, we can't always figure out what the cause is. Sometimes our best approach is figuring out what we can do to make our body work more like it's supposed to. And in the case of cancer, that might include medicine. It might include, well, if a medical approach might include chemo, you know, uh, radiation, surgery. For some people, you know, surgery would be cutting it out and, and that could be, you know, life-saving or, or buy people time to make changes in their life to get rid of the cause and do the things they ought to. But you asked specifically about aloe, so let's take a look at some uh, things here. This is from Wikipedia. Under immunostimulant properties, ACE manin has been demonstrated to induce macrophages to secrete interferon, tumor necrosis factor, and interleukins. Therefore, it might help to prevent or abrogate viral infection. These three cytokines are known to cause inflammation, and interferon is released in response to viral infections. 
In vitro studies have shown ace-manin to inhibit HIV replication. However, in vivo studies also have been inconclusive. ACE-MANIN is currently being used for treatment and clinical management of fibrosarcoma in dogs and cats. Administration of ACE-MANIN has been shown to increase tumor necrosis factor and prolonged post-survival. The animals have demonstrated lymphoid infiltration and encapsulation. What is ACE-MANIN? ACE-MANIN is a nutrient found in aloe vera. In aloe, I should say, because there's other um, species of aloe, not just aloe vera. Aloe vera happens to be the most common of the aloes, the one that you're most likely to find in a grocery store, whether it's a leaf or processed into something that could be consumed. Let's take a look at some other things here too, as long as we're on it. This is a randomized study of chemotherapy versus biochemotherapy with chemotherapy plus aloe aberrants in patients with metastatic cancer. And yeah, this can be found online. And what you will find in this case is that, well, here we had 121 patients that were given chemotherapy and 119 that were given chemotherapy plus aloe. And, um, you know, they all had stage four cancers. And, you know, when it comes down to what was considered the complete result or the best category to be put in, you know, when you look at how people did, um, the smaller group by a couple of patients uh, that, that got the aloe with the chemotherapy actually had 10 people in the complete result group, whereas the one that only got the chemotherapy had three people in it. So that would be a significant difference. Does aloe help fight cancer? Interesting results there. Uh, in this letter, Manos impairs tumor growth and enhances chemotherapy. My, Manos is the sugar molecule of ACE manin, ACE manin, the nutrient in aloe. These mucopolysaccharides, these super long chain complex carbohydrates, essentially, which are a bunch of sugar molecules joined together. But the sugar molecule of aloe is mannose. It's not glucose or fructose or lactose or, you know, it's not, it's not those uh, simple sugars that we would, you know, um, associate with uh, our, our sweet tooth. But it's a sugar molecule that processes very differently. In fact, it was studied in, I, I want to say, 1935, where they gave it to rats that were in ketosis. And somehow these rats stayed in ketosis. It does not process like glucose, doesn't raise blood sugar levels. In fact, people with diabetes will consume aloe vera to lower blood sugar levels or stabilize blood sugar levels at lower levels. Somehow it processes differently. Its effect on impairing tumor growth seems to be related to the cancerous cells trying to eat it, kind of like binding to it, wanting to consume the sugar. You know, cancers feed on sugar. That's how they're identified with radi a radioactive sugar compound is easy to show on, a, say, a PET scan because the cancer cells will start eating the, the sugars. Well, they want to eat the mannose, but they can't digest it like glucose, and they have a hard time releasing it, 
which makes it difficult for them to consume glucose. Therefore, they starve. The thought being that when they are used in the presence of chemotherapy as well, that, you know, I, I think one conclusion by the chemotherapy company was the mannose starves the cancer cells why, while the uh, chemotherapy kills them. I would wonder if uh, more research was done, if it would show that they eventually starve the cancer cells to death. More research is needed in this area. So, you know, does aloe cure cancer? No. Might it be something that's helpful for someone that's fighting cancer? If it were me, my family, someone in my family, I would want to get rid of the cause of cancer, you know, lung cancer. Well, stop smoking. Let's get you breathing clean air and, you know, whatever it is to give the best environment for the lungs. Based on where the cancer was and how much cancer there was, decide whether or not medicine will play a role in the recovery process. And also, of course, how do I supercharge the human body to work as good as it can? What foods are going to contribute to wellness and what foods are going to take away from that or hinder? Obviously, we wouldn't want somebody eating a bunch of sugar foods that are going to feed the cancer. So I'm thinking lots of fruits and vegetables and phytonutrients that are have strong, you know, not only antioxidant, you know, we, we, we think of th fruits and vegetables as antioxidants because that's one of the things they do is quench free radicals and that might help prevent cancer. But those phytochemicals have a lot of other functions. For instance, um, regulating hormones and um, increasing intercellular communication, which is very important for your body and your immune system to be able to recognize where the cancer cells are. And, and they help stimulate detoxification, which is great for getting rid of the junk in your body so that your body will work more like it's supposed to. I would emphasize the vegetables because they're lower in sugars, probably the processed sugars that are really feeding the cancer cells. We need more research in that area as well. So between fruits and vegetables, I would emphasize the vegetables. And on the fruit side, I would emphasize low sugar fruits just to play it safe, like your berries and things that are more tart, not necessarily, uh, you know, bananas. I don't know. I'm on the fence on that one. I don't know if they'd be good or bad for someone fighting cancer. Don't really know. But I can have a strong confidence about vegetables and, and the more tart uh, of the fruits and berries. That's kind of how I think about this, you know, um, when it comes to fighting cancer. Uh, is there a known cure? No. Is there things that we can do? Yes, we can take action and make wise choices and we can follow our doctor's advice or not. Um, and we can do everything that we can to make our body work more like it's supposed to. Um, I want to get rid of the toxic environment. I want to put in good, you know, life energy foods, things that existed hundreds of years ago, not these foods that have been invented in the you know past 50 years that are in packages sitting on shelves laced with chemicals that don't allow any kind of life to live in them you know it's funny because they're filled with all kinds of chemicals to prevent like bacteria from taking them over and yet when we eat them when we feed ourselves we're feeding our microbiome we're feeding these things to bacteria 
very important bacteria, very important for things like regulating our immune system. Our immune system is dependent on a nice, healthy gut and a microflora. So many things go wrong when we kill that and, and you know, destroy and damage the balance of microflora. So, I want to eat real food, chemical-free food. I want to detoxify my body and do everything I can to support, you know, liver detoxification, help my kidneys to work as good as they can, not give them things that will get in the way and stop those filters from doing what they're supposed to do. I want to make sure I'm getting good rest. Having good mental thoughts because that is known to be good for your immune system. We want a good, strong immune system to help fight cancers. So, whether or not you choose a medical approach, a natural approach, an integrative approach where you combine the two, you know, those choices are up for you, up to you. I wouldn't ever recommend a medical only approach. Um, I would always recommend doing things natural at the same time if you are doing medicine, but be a thinking person and decide for yourself what makes the most sense for you. Okay, that's it. Dr. Michael Haley with probably the most controversial topic that is most likely to get me banned for even talking about it. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Haley, and today I have another email question from a subscriber who says, Hey, Doc, the biggest challenge for me as it pertains to my health is avoiding toxicity in the food that I consume. I can't always find or afford the organic foods I want. Question, what is your recommendation for a high-quality vitamin C product? And that's Tony from Punta Gorda, Florida. Tony, I appreciate your question, and let's talk about the first part first because, you know, you say the biggest challenge for you as it pertains to your health is avoiding toxicity in the food, but we also want to avoid toxicity in everything we come in contact with. Now, we also want to be on a continuous detoxification of our body, so talk briefly about that. In your homes, there's Chances are you have, you know, carpets or couches or things that were manufactured with chemicals that are continuously off-gassing. Walls might be painted. You know, you may have had your floors cleaned with chemicals and, and the very things that your floors are made out of, they probably have chemicals in them and everything's continuously off-gassing, going into the air we breathe. So it's more than just food. We are surrounded by toxic chemicals. We're being assaulted every day by them. I heard that the grasslands in central USA, you can detect radiation from Fukushima. Now, even if you're growing your food yourself organically, not using any chemicals, your city might come and spray pesticides once a month to keep mosquitoes down. I mean, the chemicals are everywhere. Living in this world is kind of like, you know, back in the, I think it was the 60s and 70s where they allowed smoking on airplanes. And if you were on that plane and someone was smoking, you know, uh, like Dice Clay said, you're in a tube. The smoke is everywhere. What's with the smoking section and the no smoking section? You're on this earth. The chemicals are everywhere. Some places more toxic than others. But the fact is, we are all being exposed to these toxic chemicals. We can't get away from them. The good news is your body has filters like your kidneys and your liver. 
we want to keep our diet optimal, consume foods that help us continually detox. And we want to probably employ things like maybe intermittent fasting and things that help, you know, our body to detox. You know, we we are either in this uh, digestion phase or, you know, this parasympathetic phase or the sympathetic phase and our body has to go through cycles. Some of us just eat, 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 and we never give our bodies a chance to detox instead. So, you know, I think of consuming foods that help me detox. I think of giving my body a break from food and things like intermittent fasting so that um, we can detox continuously. But looking more at your question now, how do you avoid toxicity in the food? Obviously, there's things like a dirty dozen. You know, if you search for the dirty dozen, there's foods that you should probably avoid if you cannot get them organic grown. And there's also a clean 15, which if you're on a budget, you know, those are things that probably have less pesticides, herbicides and fungicides in them. So, you know, you're probably safe buying those things conventionally. And, you know, a, a rule of thumb is um, how thick or thin is the skin that's on it? Is it something where you eat the skin? Uh, well, obviously, wash it really good before consuming it. Or is it something that has a thick skin that you're going to peel off and remove? Okay, those probably are going to be less toxic on the inside. And they're all also more resistant to the bugs and the things that might eat them. So they're less likely to have pesticides, you know, as an example, sprayed on them. I grow aloe vera. Aloe vera has this thick skin on the outside of it. Very, very bitter. The animals aren't going to bite into it. The bugs aren't going to eat it. In the world, there's really pesticides are never used in aloe vera farms. Well, I shouldn't say never. I'm sure someone uses them. But for the most part, aloe vera is grown organically. Um, there's no reason for pesticides. Anyone that uses them is really foolish. So, you know, some things are safe to eat when they're not certified organic. Other things you'd be more cautious about. So look up the dirty dozen. Now, what is your recommendation for a high quality vitamin C product? I'm someone who looks for nutrient dense foods. All right, keyword term, nutrient-dense foods, foods that are nutrient-dense. So when I think of vitamin C, I think of things like, you know, bell peppers, I think citrus, I think, uh, I think even potatoes are high in vitamin C and tomatoes. The problem with this is most of these high vitamin C foods you're going to find in the dirty dozen. So you're going to want to get those organically. Or there's even some super, you know, nutrient-dense vitamin C foods. I think of like Indian gooseberry, um, also known as amla powder. So that's going to be your high vitamin C, and I'd probably get it organic if possible, just because, you know, for a little bit more, you get a, a good quality source of, you know, you're taking it like a supplement, a, a powder that's going to be very just... You know, my mouth's watering just think about uh, thinking about how bright that flavor is going to be with uh, what comes with vitamin C flavor. So when it comes to products, I think searching food sources of that vitamin C or whatever vitamin you're looking for, whatever nutrient you're looking for, food sources of, and then I see what comes up and decide whether or not I need to buy them organically or whether or not that's something that is safe to consume on a regular basis, conventionally grown, if that's an area whether that I might want to choose to save money. All right, Tony from Puta Gorda, Florida. Thank you. That was a great question. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Haley, and I have another subscriber email question. This one coming from Esther, and it says, I have a couple of conditions. One of them is SIBO that I'm trying to recover from. That's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. I wanted to double check with you to see if you thought it was okay to be taking the aloe vera juice or gel with SIBO. I also have candida and mold, but I believe I read somewhere about being cautious with SIBO and aloe. My gut is a wreck and I'm desperate to find something to help. Just wondering if you have any opinion or experience with your product and SIBO. I have a few thoughts about this. Uh, recently, I did a podcast with Siobhan Sarna from SIBOSOS.com. And she is an author, has written you know, a book and had an internet program and just a lot of great content. She is an expert when it comes to SIBO. One of the things she talked about was diagnosing SIBO because some people are just given the diagnosis apart from, say, the breath tests, which would help determine what pathogens might be contributing to the overgrowth. And, you know, based on the breath test, you would know how to treat that medically to beat down the counts. She also had some interesting thoughts that most SIBO was caused by a food poisoning at some point, which I believe was her case. And then, you know, many years later, still struggling with it. At any rate, at some point, things get out of balance and there's this overgrowth. My thoughts about it. First, we'll address the aloe vera question. I don't think it's founded in science, but in theory, that certain foods would feed the overgrowth. And aloe vera is lumped in with mucopolysaccharides and some other oh, superfoods, I'll say, that contain mucopolysaccharides. What makes aloe vera different is the sugar molecule mannose, which seems to process very differently than, you know, other things like glucose and fructose and lactose and all these other sh simple sugars that we're aware of. So if you consider that, see, mannose in diabetics taken it, it actually lowers their blood sugar levels. Cancer cells seem to bind it, but not be able to consume it, which kind of starves them in a sense. It's not bacteriostatic, meaning that bacteria won't grow in them. So that means they can actually consume the aloe and grow from it. But it seems to be, you know, slower consuming than most other foods. So from that perspective, I would think that aloe vera would not feed the overgrowth. I have read things on the Internet where people mention aloe vera with some other things. There's no science to support that. What I would probably do if I wasn't getting medical treatment, I would probably try the aloe vera and see if it helped. Now, probably do some other things as well as we think about what SIBO is and, you know, how you would theoretically get well from it. For instance, if there is an overgrowth, there are natural things that can be consumed with it that might help beat down the bacterial overload such as silver, may, you know, again, there's not a whole lot of science on this area. There are antibiotics that medically, you know, based on the breath test, this antibiotic or this combination or this particular one only works in the small intestine because of the environment there and it needs that environment for it to work. So, you know, there's, there is a medical plan to beat that down. But 
I might choose a more natural. There are uh, there's also herbs that will help that are, you know, antibacterial. There's also a motility issue. For instance, slow digestion when the transit time is too long, that kind of gives the bacteria more time to overgrow. So improving the transit time and there are supplements that are prokinetics. There's also medications that are prokinetics. So in the medical approach, you might have antibiotics and prokinetics that you can mimic naturally the medical route. The experts would mostly agree that you're going to have limited success doing it naturally and that the medical approach is appropriate. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if that's a scientific explanation or based on their clinical experience or what the case is. I don't know if anyone's ever really took a sound natural approach, addressing all the same things that they would address in a medical approach. Those are my thoughts when it comes to SIBO and aloe vera. I don't want to disagree with Siobhan Sarna. She knows more about SIBO than I do. Yet at the same time, I've always looked at things and said, okay, what's the issue? Getting rid of the cause is the number one way to get well, regardless of the condition. Because if you don't get rid of the cause, it just keeps on coming back. And sometimes getting rid of the cause is enough to fix the problem and the problem goes away. So I want to identify what caused it and it, have I gotten that out of my life? And, you know, am I creating the best environment for my body to work as good as it can? You know, a nice clean diet with the nutritional support that it needs. Am I getting uh, enough rest and am I getting all the proper exercises? You know, when it comes to um, exercise, things like yoga and decompressing the spine and increasing intestinal motility and decreasing your transit time, all of those things can, you know, help your SIBO. Maybe, maybe not, right? So I'm always uh, thinking naturally, what is my body missing? Nutrition, exercise, rest, my thought processes. You know how connected thoughts are to digestion and how stress and, and tension can interfere with those processes. And, you know, re relaxation and the parasympathetic system helping increase digestion and improve it. Do I need more of a probiotic diet? you know, where I'm nurturing the good intestinal flora? Am I chewing my food properly and, you know, and working in the digestive enzymes and consuming high enzyme-rich foods? You know, so we kind of step back, do I drink enough water? Do I have fiber? And kind of look at that. People, again, might say, oh, well, fiber feeds the bacteria. You're going to increase the overgrowth. I've always looked at things and said, if I get back to the natural, remove the cause and get back to the natural, Will that do it? And I would probably try those things. And if it didn't work, then I'd probably, you know, get some breath tests and make sure I can confirm a diagnosis and might attempt a medical approach. So that's just me. I'm not saying it's right. From what I have heard from people, aloe vera has, you know, helped a lot of people with their digestive issues. I've heard some people said it did nothing for them. So who knows? I hope that is helpful, check out SIBOSOS.com and, you know, Siobhan Sarna's work. She's dedicated years to this and just has created a lot of content, has a wealth of knowledge. Look in the bottom below this video for a link to my discussion with her to hear from the SIBO expert herself. Oh, Esther, by the way, let's talk about a few other things in your questions really quick. You mentioned candida and mold. When it comes to candida, 
you know, candida is usually occurring in more than one place in the body. I've heard people suggest that it's actually there to help clean your body from heavy metal toxicity. Well, if that's the case, then killing it isn't the solution, but stopping the toxicity from heavy metals makes more sense. Again, going back to the what is causing it and get rid of the cause and then things should work better. When it comes to mold, that's one that I don't think anyone really has a handle on. Meaning, is the mold still in you or is it the toxins from the mold that is still in you and maybe you need a good detox program? I do know that a lot of healthcare professionals that treat people with mold issues um, do recommend aloe vera for them. I don't know why. I don't know if it's to help the immune system heal the gut, re, uh, repair damage that maybe was gotten from you know medical treatments like antibiotics. I don't really know why they recommend aloe vera. I know that they do, but I think that's a difficult area. And there's, again, doctors that really focus on that. I don't know of anyone that gets, you know, fast, amazing results. Um, I would check my environment, make sure I'm not living in mold and make sure that wasn't the real problem that, you know, that continuous, maybe you can't ever get well and there's no doctor cure because you're still exposed to it and you just don't know it. So those are my thoughts on that. Mold sucks. All right. Thanks for checking this out. I'm Dr. Michael Haley, and today I have an email question for you, which says, I have a question on consuming the aloe juice. I do smoothies quite often because of my schedule. I defrost a small bottle of aloe from the freezer overnight in the refrigerator. The next morning, I use part of the juice, which is more of a slush in the smoothie. Am I receiving the benefits of the aloe juice? And that comes to us from Maxine. Well, Maxine, the first thing I want to talk about is just a terminology, little difference. I'm going to refer to it as aloe vera gel. And the difference being usually when we say juice, we're referring to something that's more processed, something that is thinner, and usually the whole leaf. So when you take the whole leaf and, you, um, and it comes processed, you buy it in one of those bottles at the health food store. It's been filtered, pasteurized, and preserved containing the whole leaf, and it doesn't have that thickness that you get from the inner leaf gel. If you were to hand fillet your own leaf, or if you're buying whole leaf aloe vera gel from us, you'll notice that when you shake it, it kind of sounds goopy sounding, or if you pour it in uh, into a glass or into your blender, it's kind of thick. And if you are to blend that, it'll kind of foam up it, significantly, actually. So gel is different than juice. And for that reason, with our aloe vera gel, I'm going to recommend that you make your juice smoothie first. And then if you want to add aloe vera in at the end, turn the blender off, pour some in however much you want, and just kind of flash blend it in or pulse it in or put the blender on a real low speed and run it just long enough to mix it in there sufficiently. For me, myself, today I had aloe vera in my juice, which, you know, I made it with a juicer, not with a blender. But, you know, collard greens and parsley and um, they had some kale in there and some wheatgrass and some uh, apple juice, some apples I put in the juicer. And at the end, I just poured in aloe from one of our bottles at, at Haley Nutrition right into the drink. I didn't even bother stirring it or shaking. I just drank it and I happened to get the aloe first that was on top with some of the green flavor. Um, but that works for me. 
I don't want to blend it. When you're adding air to it with a blender, if you're doing it on a high speed and it's foaming up, you're adding air or oxygen. You're oxidizing the nutrients and that might indeed change them. You're also kind of, you know, you, you're kind of mixing the enzymes in there that naturally occur in aloe vera gel, which help break down some of the nutrients. And I kind of like the, you know, normal speed of that happening, the time release speed of, of enzymes going to work as they naturally occur in the plants. So for me, I'm not going to really super blend anything. I hope that better answers your question so you know how to better prepare your aloe in the morning. Don't be afraid to mix it in your juicer or even blend it in, but nothing crazy there. Also, if you have a vacuum blender, of course, you'll get much better results. I like that idea. You know, when you get your aloe vera, you melt it completely. And I would leave the bottle in my sink overnight if I was going to portion it off and melt the whole bottle. And then the next morning, because it takes about eight or nine hours to fully melt at room temperature, I wouldn't try to melt it in the refrigerator, take days. But uh, then I'd portion it into the smaller containers, put them in the refreezer, in the freezer to refreeze them to take out as necessary. I don't want it in my refrigerator for more than about seven to 10 days because eventually this logarithmic thing with bacteria happens where all of a sudden they kind of take it over and they multiply really fast and the uh, the juice, the gel, the drink, whatever it is that's in your refrigerator too long, ferments very quickly at some point in time. So I want to consume it before it gets to that uh, stage. So um, I like what you're doing, putting it in the smaller containers. And Maxine, thank you for your question. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Dr. Haley Show. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot, and share this exact episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode on www.drhaley.com. If you want to geek out with Dr. Michael Haley on other radical health topics, be sure to check out his YouTube channel where he posts exclusive video content. All the details are at www.drhaley.com, and we can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.